Every period in history that involves monumental change has always begun with one person taking a stand. When government is tyrannical, the people of God have a duty to not follow and not comply. And I just need to know who is willing to stand. can't be what you do. It has to be who you are. Rise and shine, liberty-loving patriots. Welcome to the Chris Ann Hall Daily Journal. Chris Ann Hall here, K-R-I-S-A-N-N-E-H-A-L-L.com where we are liberty over security, principle over party, and truth over your favorite personality. So happy to have you with us here today. So happy to have you join us on this wonderful, amazing, beautiful Monday. I'm putting something in here. JC's left me driving this ship by myself today. So uh, we are... Uh, I'm learning the system, and I'm figuring it all out, and I'm going to get it right. How's that? While we're here, let's do a little housekeeping. Please like and share. Make sure if you are watching us on YouTube that you ring the bell. Make sure that you share with all your friends and family members, coworkers, everywhere you can share. You know where it really helps to share? If you text the link to someone. Or you send a link through Signal or through WhatsApp or what you're doing. Personal invitations are so much more powerful than just sharing something on social media. Remember, polls still prove that more people get their information from personal interactions than they do from social media. Glad to have you with us here today. Man, it's it's just really hard to figure out what's going on in America today. Sorry, we're moving late today. That has a lot to do with the fact that I am running solo and driving the ship by myself today. But we won't we will make sure that we have a power-packed show for you today so that you will stay informed and have the right constitutional argument. Now, let me start by saying something that may sound a little bit strange. I think it's what Thomas Jefferson meant when he said, I would rather suffer the, the tumult of liberty than live in the, in the peace of servitude. Liberty is not always the easy choice. It's not always the, the, it's not always the popular choice. It's not even always the one that you want to choose as an individual. But if you leave liberty to personal self-governance and realize that we aren't God and we aren't there to control everyone, that you have to give space for people to make the wrong decisions in their own lives, to learn their own decisions in their own lives, then liberty 
has a stronger foundation. We are not statists here. We do not believe that uh, that opinions should be enforced by law. We don't believe that I have a right to dictate another man's conscience and neither should the law. So I just want to say we are liberty over security, principle over party, and truth over your favorite personality. We are a self-governance zone, a liberty first zone. You live by your conscience. I live by mine. And as long as we don't have to bump into each other, we should all be good to go. You know, JC says this all the time, but it's really the difference between the what we classify as the left culture and the liberty culture. We live a live your life and I'll live my life kind of mentality. The culture that we identify as the leftists are the ones who want to rule over you. Unfortunately, sometimes the right, the one that we, you know, determined to be on the right, which is very interesting, by the way, not to, to jump on my, you know, ADHD squirrel here, but I was doing a little study about World War II and the propaganda that was going on in World War II. And I love the whole misinformation, miseducation, but more importantly, the government's role in misinformation and miseducation and, and disinformation and miseducation. And how the government's version of truth became the only acceptable version of truth. Now, truth is truth. It doesn't really have versions, but you know what I'm trying to say here. And so I was really fascinated at the, you know, I mean, I'm a basic dots kind of person. I was really fascinated by the little things. Number one, that that Hitler was referred to as the, the right. And the resistance was referred to as the left. How How different we have use these terms and how these terms are used to come against us in these things. It's just, it's, it's really phenomenal. That's why I really don't like the whole left, right labels, call things what they are. We are constitutionalists because we follow the constitution. Uh, they're Marxists because they follow the Marxist doctrine. Don't put in this right, left thing. I don't even think Republican and Democrat is even appropriate anymore. Democrat, Republican, these are not proper specific labels. I certainly don't like the term conservative because what the heck does that mean? You know how many people I bump into, even liberty-minded politicians, oh, he's a top conservative. Great. Can you please tell me what the heck that means? Give me a settled definition on that term, conservative. But anyway, it's, it's just very interesting how that paradigm all plays out. And you talk about the Marxists and what we classify as the left being the nanny who want to control everybody's lives. But there's also a very decent-sized portion of those that we would call conservatives who want to control people's lives, too. And they want law and government to control people's lives. And that's something that we have to be very careful of. 
to to us to a degree that's what we call the statists right to the degree those who are call themselves conservatives who want to you know enforce moral conscience through those in power those are statists those are the people who want to use law uh, to to control what should be a self-governing, self-conscious kind of issue. And so, hey, you know, at times you've got to make the tough choice to leave somebody alone to their own bad decisions, to leave people alone to their own, uh, to learn their own lessons and to suffer their own consequences. And unfortunately... That's oftentimes the very, very difficult thing to do. Hey, I want to give a, uh, an applaud to Jesse James out there for his awesome face uh, Instagram post. Every time we comply, we establish a future where our children will not have that option. Isn't that awesome, guys? I totally, totally love when you guys help me out with these, these posts. These are testimonials about where you stand on what we teach. And these are more powerful than things that I put up. Your, your testimony of what you learn and what that means to you. So thank you, Jesse James one for that awesome, awesome tweet. Hey guys, we had an amazing day in California. Um, it was it was really cool. Uh, Friday we were with Sheriff Mack and the For the Republic people teaching about the role and duty of the sheriff, about living in a constitutional society and teaching people how and giving them the courage, the, the wisdom, the knowledge to take a stand. And then JC and I happened to be in Carmel, California on, the, on Saturday, and I wanted to share with you a video because we walked on, up onto a Recall Newsome um, uh, rally on the street there in downtown Carmel. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to share this with you so you guys can just, I mean, it's an eight minute video. You can go watch it on Facebook. You can go watch it on Instagram now. It's an Instagram video, uh, but it's really, it was, it was really cool to walk up on these people and see this. I'm not going to play the whole 80 minutes, but I did want you to see. I think there really is a larger, at least in Carmel. Now remember, Carmel is the, the, the place where Clint Eastwood was mayor. And so I guess they're pretty typically a conservative kind of, of, um, of community. So it was really interesting to see how much support there was for the recall Newsom. There were, there appeared to be more people in favor of recalling Newsom than, than not. So here's just a little piece of it. You like, again, it's on Instagram, it's on Facebook and it's on LinkedIn. You can see the video in all those three places in its entirety. Educate. Go. We are here to educate people and to urge them to vote yes to recall Governor Newsom. 
Yay, are you guys getting a really good response out here? We are. We have lots of out of state, I mean, out of county people. There's JC back there in the corner. You can see him standing there. <laughs> I just thought that was funny. When I was shooting the video, I didn't realize JC was 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 looking in on the background there. I think he was actually running security for me to make sure somebody didn't come up behind me and hit me over the head with some kind of woke thing. So well, let's keep going. So they're a lot more friendly than, you know, than the locals. <laughs> oh, but you're in Carmel. This is the home of Clint Eastwood, right? Yes, and Clint Eastwood is definitely for this recall. Yay. <laughs> recall. Recall. <laughs> We're getting so many positive 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 very positive hey liberty loving patriots here we are on the streets of california ran into some people who are exercising their freedom of speech their right to peaceably assemble under the constitution of the united states and the constitution of the state of california correct supporting their rights, exercising their rights, having their voices be heard to get rid of Gavin Newsom. Over here we have a Larry Elder sign. Go ahead, guys. <laughs> Recall Newsom. This is so awesome to be here on the streets of Carmel, California watching Americans be Americans, exercising their rights as guaranteed. Because remember, if you do not exercise your rights, you do not have them. Oh, really? Yeah, it's a special. All right, here you are. You are live on Facebook tonight. I love it. We love Larry. Ninety-three thousand people watching you right Woo! now. <laughs> love Larry. We love Larry. Jump <laughs> All right. Awesome. Awesome. Got your patriotic puppy there. All right, guys, if you want to go watch that video in its entirety, then you can uh, go to my YouTube, uh, my Facebook page, Chris Ann Hall, my Instagram page, chrisann.hall, and to my uh, LinkedIn page, which is also Chris Ann Hall, and the video is there. You can watch the whole thing. Let me tell you what. Uh, we actually get some good interviews at the end of the video. Somebody actually comes up and starts uh, disagreeing and, and that's a little bit fun too. <laughs> so I uh, was glad to be able to be there to, um, be able to film that so that you, everybody could see what is going on there in California. Uh, it was a very interesting trip to California. Um, and we would, uh, hold on a second. I hit the wrong button or something. And it, it really was not as bad as what you might think. I mean, when you talk to the people and you're there 
If you don't know that the government's a bunch of tyrants trying to steal the money of the businesses and driving people away, and you just talk to people, you know, just like, like everywhere you go in America, you just talk to people, it, it, you would never know something was going on. Again, I'll just say there were fewer masks in California than, than, than we've seen here on the streets of Florida. Uh, I don't, I don't know why. Maybe it's because they think everybody's vaccinated. I don't think they could possibly bring it, believe everybody's vaccinated. And that's why they're all not wearing masks, but nobody's not freaking, nobody's freaking out over it anymore. Not too much anyway. Now you get your, your, your crazy loon every now and again, but for the most part, you know, people are just really kind of laid back. So uh, we had a nice time in California. There are a lot of liberty-loving patriots in California. And it's going to be really interesting to see how this recall thing goes. I love to see the people standing up. I love the way the California Constitution, the California government works where you can recall your governor. I think that you ought to be able to recall your politicians. It should be an active thing. You see, when you have a recall process like that, people have a tendency to stay more involved in their government. They stay more aware. When you have a reason to, if you have a way to kick people out, um, then you you have the, the reason to be involved. I think most people check out because they feel like they have no power and they have no way to do anything. But this power to recall is enormous and people wrap their hand, heads around it. Uh, it could really be a very important tool in restoring the republic. Uh, it should be done with your county commissioners, with your city council members, with your mayors, with everybody. That's what should be happening. This whole recall process can it be used in a bad way? Of course, but the power in the hands of the people should always be the default rather than, and, and that's over those in government, not, not power in the hands of the people to create law because that's a democracy. We want laws created through equal representation, but the people ought to have the ultimate control over their representatives to the extent that they should recall them when they're not doing the job the way they're supposed to. Can I just remind you, or for those who are new, inform you, that's the way our U.S. senators used to be employed. Prior to the 17th Amendment, our U.S. senators were uh, employed by the states. They were hired and fired by the states. And I'm going to try to pull up an article here um, so I can read to you something that our founder said in that. Let's see if I actually have this up here. I can find it for you. But the power to recall is one of the most important and vital powers that we can have. And our senators in the U.S. Constitution were set up that way so that they were hired by the states 
and they served at will for the states. So if you get a senator up there who starts doing things where they start looking like they represent the federal government more than they represent the state or they represent personal interests or, you know, private interests more than they represent the state prior to the 17th Amendment, the senators could be fired like that and then replaced. That's the power of recall. And there's an article on my website, chrisannhall.com, and it's called What We Need to Know About Term Limits. And this Term Limits article is more of of a foundation on why the power over those in office needs to be easily accessed and constantly accessed by the voting people themselves. And so what you have uh, is a situation where our founders had this discussion about how should the senators be there or not. And they decided that the ultimate term limit was someone who could be recalled. Not establishing you can be there for two years, you can be there for four years, you can be there for six years, and you have to come home. But the ultimate term limit was the power to recall. And here's what Mercy Otis Warren wrote in 1788. She wrote, man is not immediately corrupted but power without limitation or amenability may endanger the brightest virtue. I'm going to put this up there. Maybe you can see it on your computer, your laptop. If you're watching this, you certainly won't be able to see it on your phone. But anyway, she says, whereas frequent return to the bar of their constituents, meaning frequent elections, is the strongest check against the corruption to which men are liable either from the intrigues of others, uh, of others of more subtle genius or the propensities of their own hearts. Now, Mercy was arguing that we don't need to set up our house reps on a two-year election cycle. We need to have them running every year. She's thought that frequent elections, which is something that always puts people under the guidance of their constituents. If you're constantly looking at your job, wondering if you're doing your, what your boss is, is happy with if you, you're on the edge where you have to keep your boss happy to keep your job, then your eyes are going to be on your boss instead of wandering off and wondering where you can get some other kind of help. Right? So this is something that they discussed, and I just want you to understand these principles. Here we have in Federalist 62, an individual who is observed to be inconsistent with his plans, or perhaps to carry on his affairs without any plan at all, is marked at once by all prudent people as a speedy victim to his own unsteadiness. So the intent is to keep those elected focused on those who are electing them rather than focusing on private interests. The letter from the federal farmer number 11 wrote, 
It is interested combinations and factions we are particularly to guard against in the federal government. And all the rational means that can be put into the hands of the people to prevent them ought to be provided and furnished for them. Where there is a power to recall, trustee sentinels among the people or in the state legislators will have a fair opportunity to become useful. Further, the circumstances of such power being lodged in the constituents will tend to keep up their watchfulness as well as the attention and dependence of the federal senators and the representatives. You see, our founders knew what the people of California are figuring out here is that the power of recall would have two results. It would force the people to keep watch of their representatives because they actually have a tangible control. An immediate recall, not, yeah, I mean, political process immediate, but as immediate as political goes. And it would cause those elected in office to always be looking at their constituents and making sure that they were happy so that they would not recall, get recalled. So I am a huge fan. And again, you can catch this at uh, chrisannhall.com. This is chrisannhall.com right up here. You can see that up here. And then the article is what we need to know about term limits. And it really is the most amazing argument for the power of recall and what that does to help the people learn and to keep the people involved. The most, def the most defeating thing for the people in a constitutional republic is this the most empowering thing for those in government. They're the same thing. When the constituents feel powerless, human nature says they will check out and do nothing. So when the people feel powerless, it defeats our power in government. But when we check out and do nothing because we feel defeated, it actually empowers those in office to do whatever they want, whenever they want. Would you guys <clears throat> allow me to do a little PSA here for some members of our audience? You can find this on Instagram. You can find this on YouTube. I did a little studying over the weekend because I've been helping a lot of people try to avoid uh, conflict of their conscience and the taking, uh, the jab. And I've been helping a lot of trying to help a lot of people in the military, in the reserves, um, stay secure in their religious conviction against these jabs. And I found this interesting bit of help in us code. So for active duty members of the military, 10 USC sections 12646 and 1176 
require that active duty service members who have served 18 or more, but less than 20 years of service, cannot be subject to involuntary separation. If a service member falls into this category, number one, their active duty, uh, 12646 applies to commissioned officers, 1176 applies to enlisted personnel. If you have served 18 or more years and less than 20 years, you fall into the category uh, called uh, employment sanctuary. You cannot lawfully be involuntarily separated if you fall into this category. You have a legal sanctuary from involuntary separation because you're so close to the end. Now, if you're over 20 years, uh, you can be, have, be subject to involuntary separation because at, over 20 years, you automatically keep your retirement benefits. But this is a way of keeping secure retirement benefits so that wicked people in the command cannot kick you out before, right before you're about to get your retirement. And so if you have people, because there's, look, there's a lot of misinformation going on out there in the, our, with our military, our, our members of the military in service. They're being told by people who don't know any better. They're being told by their command that if they uh, do not take the jab, then they will be court-martialed. Uh, they will be sent to Leavenworth. They'll be dishonorably discharged. According to the Pentagon, according to precedent, and according to the Supreme Court, none of those things will happen. It is not disobeying a lawful order to request a religious exemption. What can happen is you can be involuntarily discharged and say, okay, because you will not get the jab, we cannot consider you deployable. And since we can't consider you deployable, then we're going to have to outprocess you. You can't do your job. But if you're within those two years before retirement, this 10 USC 12646 and 1176 says you cannot legally be uh, in subject to involuntary separation. They have to reassign you for those, those last two years so you can finish out your term and then keep your uh, retirement. Now, prior to 18 years, you can be involuntarily discharged because you can't perform the duties. Now, under the rules of religious exemption, if it will not cause an undue hardship, they will reassign you or allow you to stay in your position. The law says if, however, it creates an undue hardship or an undue burden, then they can involuntarily separate you. So those are, you know, I mean, that's just the rules on the surface. It was a way to protect people who were this close to retirement from having their retirement benefits stolen. 
So the bottom line is, according to the Pentagon, according to the Supreme Court, and according to precedent, uh, you're not going to be court-martialed. You're not going to be dishonorably discharged for exercising your conscience and, re and requesting a religious exemption. But under 18 years, you may be given the choice. You have to do this or you have to find a new job. You can't work here in the military anymore. That's the unfortunate reality, okay? I I'm sorry, but this is part of the purge that we were talking about last week when JC and I were talking about this administration wants to purge from government all the people who will not blindly enforce their orders and submit to their unconscionable demands. So that's, that's the situation that we're in. So you have to, elect moral people to be in office. That's, that's really the bottom line of it. So if you have a situation where you've been having people in office for so long that, that don't know the constitution that have no moral grounding, you know, this is the kind of thing that you get. It just reminds me what John Adams said. The Constitution was created for a moral and religious people alone. It is wholly inadequate for any other. And I uh, realize there's two classes there. He didn't say you have to be religious. Okay? Moral and religious. Now, John Adams was assuming that if you were religious, that meant that you would be, you would be following the tenets of love your neighbor as yourself, not tyrannical tenants of can I, what can I get from you and what can I force you to do and how can I make you live your life the way I want you to live it? So it's moral and religious because the bottom line is morality. Our constitution was built for people who are able to self-govern and let other people govern. It is built for a society that elects representatives who are capable, who are educated, fit for office. For too many generations, we've been electing people that simply are not. And so, you know, that's, we are, we are suffering the consequences of our own body of people's inactions, okay? We are suffering those consequences. But that doesn't mean it's all over, of course. It just means that we have to work a little bit to get it back. We have to repent from the behavior that brought us here and start getting educated and activated to liberty principles, right? So remember what Samuel Adams said, no people will tamely surrender their liberties nor be easily subdued when knowledge is diffused and virtue is preserved. He said, on the contrary, when the people become universally and ignorant and 
and debauched in their manners, they will sink underneath their own weight without the aid of foreign invaders. And so this is something that we have to understand that government is a reflection of its people. And if we're checked out and we're electing immoral people, that's really a reflection on us, right? I've been getting a lot of questions about refugees, etc. And I just, I'm going to, I'm just going to put it out there that I'll do a show a little bit later this week about what it, how refugees constitutionally fit in the program, how things are, uh, how we can have refugees or refuse refugees and that sort of thing. But I'm just going to sort, I'm going to set out the understanding there before we can get into the explanation to help you guys know. Number one, refugee status, accepting refugees, uh, forcing states to take refugees is not a federally delegated authority. So the only authority delegated to the federal government is to create the uniform rule of naturalization. And a uniform rule of naturalization is the process to citizenship. Refugees are not citizens. So that is not a federal government thing. And so when we talk about that later this week, I'll give you a better platform on that, on how the difference between refugee status, where the real power lies, but understand this is an invented power of the federal government, which the Congress invented the power through, a, through pretended legislation and then did a doubly unconstitutional thing by giving the, fed, the president a power that is not given to him by Article 2. Which is really interesting because even if refugee status were a constitutionally delegated power, it would be delegated to the legislative branch and not to the executive branch. So we're just going to leave that there. We'll get into more detail about that a little bit later. But I just, I have a question for you. Again, posted this on Facebook, on Instagram. If people in America have to show proof of vaccine to get a job, and that's not a violation of our rights, how can be... How can being required to show an ID to vote a violation of our rights? Just one of those little evidences, pieces of evidence of hypocrisy out there. These are the kind of questions that we ought to be asking, the kind of arguments that we ought to be making. If I have to, by government order, show proof of vaccine to do anything. Isn't that a violent, I mean, that's not only a violation of my right to privacy, it's my violation of right to personhood. 
And why is it a violation of my rights to show an ID to vote? You cannot even argue that it's a poll tax because in a in the states where you have to show ID to vote you don't have to pay for an ID so you know that's um that's something that we need to be thinking about. That's something that we need to be putting into our little arguments. Some things that we need to be talking about. Speaking of the of of hypocrisy. I just, this is another one of those things that just pointed out to me this week about hypocrisy. The Marine officer relieved of duty after a viral video criticizing Afghanistan withdrawal. So Marine officer demanding accountability from senior military office officials in a viral video has been relieved of his command. He was relieved of his command because they are, they said that they could not have confidence in his capacity to lead. Meaning, if you throw questions at, uh, if you question the authority over you in the military, um, they can say that. They cannot trust and have confidence in your ability to carry out the orders over you. Now, let me tell you how this sort of played out in my brain, right? If someone who is working for the NFL criticizes the American flag and criticizes their leadership in the NFL for the national anthem. And they're just exercising their right to freedom of speech and their right to say their opinions while they're in uniform on the field and the whole world is defending them. I'm not saying I'm not defending them. And the whole world is defending them. How is it that the whole world is not defending the officer who is criticizing his leadership in uniform? Uh, it's just, it's just a question, guys. It's just an inconsistency. And if I'm not allowed to criticize my leadership in public, and you think that I should be fired for criticizing my leadership in public, then that should be across the board. 
there shouldn't be different standards. Maybe that's just my failing. I am often accused of being someone who has very clear cut boundaries. It's either on or it's off. It's either right or it's wrong. I'm not really a good gray area kind of person. I do see gray areas. I can acknowledge gray areas. But when you things are right and wrong, on and off, then that's the way they are. And so you would want your quarterback to be able to follow the orders of his leadership so they'll win. And you would want your lieutenant colonel to follow orders in your leadership so you will win. So do you have a free speech right to criticize your leadership and keep your job? That's the question that I'm posing for you. Because that's the on or off thing. The right or wrong thing. Sure, he's entitled to his opinion. We're all entitled to our opinions. We're all entitled to voice our opinions. And here's the thing I want to be clear. I am in no way, shape, or form saying that the lieutenant colonel must blindly follow all the orders that he's given. I am totally not saying that. He can choose to not follow those orders by his conscience. But he shouldn't be surprised if he gets fired for not following those orders. He should be public about why he's not following those orders. I'm not going to follow those orders because they are contrary to my conscience. And this is why they are contrary to my conscience. It's an incompetent regime. There are people dying. We have left people behind. We have left arms behind of massive quantities to our enemies. This is complete and utter incompetence. He should be saying those things, but he should not be surprised when he loses his job. I'm just saying, doing the right thing doesn't always lead to the kind of rewards that we imagine in our minds. When you're making decisions on moral things, you're making decisions on eternal things, then you are making decisions where you have to judge victory and defeat differently. Getting fired is not a defeat in that situation. It's actually a victory because you did what was right. And the people who judge you immorally for doing the right thing, they'll get their up and comings. It will happen. It absolutely will happen. When I was, when I 
disobeyed the order of my boss 11 years ago. My boss 11 years ago told me I had to stop teaching the Constitution. I had to stop associating people with people he didn't approve of on my own time. Or I had to quit my job. When I refused to obey his order, no, I can't follow that. I'm not going to do that. I didn't quit. He says, all right, if you're not going to stop teaching, you're not going to stop associating with these people, you have to quit. No, I don't have to quit. But I don't have to follow that order either. That's not a proper order. That is an order that violates my rights. And you didn't give me my rights. I'm not going to trade my rights for your paycheck. So guess what? I'm not doing it. And he fired me. Was I shocked that I got fired? No. Did I feel like I had done the wrong thing? Absolutely not. I knew I was right. That's why I took that stand. That's why we spoke publicly about it. But being fired was not a defeat for me. Being fired was not a punishment for me. Being fired was a victory because I was doing the right thing. So I'm just saying, you got to be able to judge these things a little bit differently. And so the hypocrisy is really the problem. You got to be one way. You, you, you got to have a standard. And then that's what the Constitution is. It's a standard. The Constitution is a standard, so we won't be subject to the whims of our changing times and changing convictions. Goodness gracious, can you imagine how many people out there, by show of hands, would want this Chris Ann Hall that you see right now, that you know right now in front of you, to run for office, right? You would want me to have power in government to do what's right. And maybe even what's right in my mind, right? But Chris Ann Hall, 33 years, 23 years ago, you wouldn't want that Chris Ann Hall. Because 23 years ago, that Chris Ann Hall was a hardcore socialist. I had the same on off personality. I had the same hard nosed convictions. But I was a hardcore socialist back then. Atheist, agnostic. I don't even know if I knew the difference between those terms at that time. You see, our constitution is a standard so people in government don't enforce their conscience on other people. It's a standard. 
So we have to have standard in government. It's not convenient. It's not pretty. Government is not the place for gray areas. The church house is the place for gray areas in some places. Your house is the place for gray areas. Government with gray areas is arbitrary. Yeah, I know, Richard, political office is not my calling. That's why it was just sort of a hypothetical. Okay. But that's why we have to have government built on standards. And I'm sure there's a lot of kind of, you know, philosophical, political science kind of things we can get in there. But the problem with gray areas in government is what you see now. Mom and pop have to close, but big corporate can stay open. The people I like don't have to do this, but the people I don't like do. And that's why laws are written, by the way, so they can be standards, written standards. Otherwise, what do you have? I wanted to point you as we leave out today's show, I wanted to point you to a art, an article where I was contacted by the author to be a contributing quote unquote expert. Okay. So, um, Armando Saguero is the author of this article on Outkick. And this is a sports outlet online, sports online magazine, newspaper, whatever you call them these days. And Armando Seguero <clears throat> called me and said, Chrisanne, I want to know the legalities of the NFL or the sports clubs to mandate the vaccine. And so we talked about that for a while. And as I talk to people, that's kind of why I love doing interviews because I love talking through things. Um, I love taking a position. Maybe that's my parents always said I was born to be a lawyer because I love to argue. No, I don't. I, it's not the arguing really that that gets me. It's the thinking through process. Because, you know, I'm, I'm an on off. I'm a right wrong. So I love testing those boundaries. I love having the conversations that make me think and test the boundaries because I never, ever assert to be infallible, never, ever assert to be the only right person on the planet, okay? So I want to work through these things because I'm an educator and I want to be a teacher and I want to make sure that what I'm teaching I am on solid ground. So I love the whole discussion process. JC, I can, you, you can probably just imagine in the car, JC and I have these amazing discussions and I'm passionate too. So sometimes they get passionate, 
Um, but it's it's not a matter of, of, of being angry. It's a matter of testing, right? Testing these boundaries. And so when I'm talking to Armando about the whole NFL thing, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm in my solid ground. I'm in my wheelhouse in a realm that I'm unfamiliar with sports. I mean, I love watching sports. I've played sports my whole life. So I'm not really, you know, like a, a total, you know, brain nerd who never did any of that, but it was just sort of wrapping my brain around a whole new kind of concept. And there was something that came up that I thought, Hey, this is a really, really good teaching moment. And so I want to sort of go through this segment. I want to go through this segment of the article together so I can show you what it was that we discussed and how it came out. So just so you know, again, for those of you listening, not watching, this is outkick.com. And the article is by Armando Seguero. NFL would love to institute COVID vaccine mandates for players. Okay. So down here at the, if you scroll down to the bottom, you see the part where I come in and I just want to, want to read this part to you. Uh, and again, it's something that's also come up in question to us. So I want to lay this out here. It's important to understand that the federal law prevents the mandate of vaccinations that are not approved by the FDA. And those of you who've been watching, you know that. Uh, that's 21 USC section 360-BBB-3, subsection E1A2, okay? So the only vaccination that has been quote-unquote approved by the FDA is the Pfizer vaccination. So unless you can get the Pfizer vaccination, the other two cannot be legally mandated because the other two are still classified as emergency use authorization drugs. So when you go to chrisanhall.com and you read the legal memorandum of law on the right to refuse, you will see that this is still intact because number one, the Pfizer vaccination is not readily available. So you can say, okay, I, I can't get the Pfizer, so you can't mandate this on me. Mandate it when the Pfizer is available, but it's not available, right? So um, the Moderno, Moderno, the Johnson & Johnsons, they're not approved, and they can't be. Now, what's interesting is that the Civil Rights Act, Title VII, says it's unlawful to force a person to take a vaccination when the vaccination is contrary to his or her religious beliefs. And under Title VII, there are some rules in that too. Now this, in my humble opinion, is the most important part of understanding the argument against the mandate. I guess as a constitutional attorney, as somebody who, who deals with primarily First Amendment issues, of course this would be important to me, but James Madison said that our conscience is our most valuable property. And so when something, when we are told that we have to do something contrary to our conscience, you're violating our most precious property rights, right? So in my humble opinion, the mandate violating religious 
principles, religious conscience, conscience is the most important aspect of fighting the mandate. Now, the standard is firmly held religious or um, firmly held religious belief or sincerely held religious beliefs. It's not unlimited in law. If the, your employer can show that it would create an undue hardship to accommodate you reasonably, then you can be terminated. But in today's day and time, it's going to be very, very difficult to prove undue hardship considering for two years we've been operating businesses with masks and testings and all these alternatives. So to claim undue hardship would be nearly impossible today considering we have two years of operational precedence that there are accommodations that can not, that there, there are no accommodations that can be made. There are absolutely accommodations that can be made. Another one of the falsehoods that we see coming around, and I'm seeing this even come from lawyers and, and I don't even know, it's just nuts, professors. Well, if you had vaccines in the past, then you don't have a right to object now. That's not true. Firmly held or, or um, uh, firmly held religious belief is the standard. Sincerely held religious belief are the standards. The courts often support the understanding that people's religious beliefs and understandings can grow and change over time. Education can grow and change over time. So the, the proof that you had bad vaccinations in the past does not negate a present or future conviction against them. So don't let people tell you that you have to do something because you did it in the past. That's not the standard. All you have to have is a sincerely held or a firmly held religious belief. And guess what, guys? It doesn't matter what the Pope says. It doesn't matter what some Southern Baptist ethicist says. And frankly, it doesn't even matter what your pastor says because firmly held, sincerely held religious beliefs are personal beliefs and conscience. So even Catholics, even though Catholics have a Pope who say you, the vaccine is okay, even though I read an article by some Baptist ethicist that said that, you know, we shouldn't be worried about the, the, uh, use of aborted fetal tissue in these vaccinations. That's not a sin to you. Uh, you don't have to subscribe to their beliefs, nor can the government hold you accountable for their beliefs. So don't try to any, let anybody bully you out of your, your firmly held or your sincerely held religious belief uh, for an exemption process because somebody in your named religion says otherwise. If there's one thing that we still hold true in America is that religion is personal. It is not something that you have to be in an organized 
group to assert. So, uh, anyway, if you are watching the NFL, if you're watching sports and you're watching how all of this works out, it's a really, really interesting article. It's Armando wrote a fabulous article, way detailed, lots of, lots of, of thought and in investigation and, and, uh, research went into this article. It's an exceptional article. And you know, I don't say that much and it's not just cause I'm in it. Uh, so go check out that article because there's a lot of great things going on. If you're if you're a sports fan, the principles and the discussion in that article are, are really really interesting. Um, now remember, the Constitution is the standard, but I haven't said that they'll always follow the standard, and that's where we have to come into play. We have to get educated. We have to get involved. We have to make those in government follow the standard. The standard doesn't govern. The, the standard is not the governing body. The Constitution doesn't control anyone is what I'm trying to say. And if you leave government to control itself, then you have no control at all. Thank you, Matthew Silva. That's so funny. He says, I watch Chris Anhall, not sports. Truth is more interesting than theater. You know, sometimes you do need a brain break, right? I love UFC. I love watching fights. I've kind of grown away of watching sports a little bit, but uh, maybe that'll change later. But you got to have a brain break, guys, if you read, breathe, consume this on a daily basis. It's not going to be good for you. All right, guys. Well, we are at an hour. Um, just as I promised, because we started late, I would give you a full hour today. My closing comment is just simply for the people here of Hillsborough County, those my home county. Uh, we are having a protest outside the Hillsborough County Commissioners meeting on Wednesday, September 1st, 2021 at 8 8. Eight, I'm sorry, at 8 a.m., 601 East Kennedy Center, Tampa, Hillsborough County, Florida. Yes, that is Florida. Has reinstated mask mandate protocols regardless of, well, anything. And so I want to urge you to join us and speak up, stand up, speak out, and be a part of who we are. Get involved in government. Fight for the rights of people and be a liberty defender. Now, don't forget to like and share so we can help spread truth. The more you share, remember the most powerful share is the personal share. You can join us at libertyfirstsociety.com. Enroll and learn about your rights today so that you can stand for those rights. So everybody tell me, did you like today's show? If you liked today's show, I would love for you to to let everybody know. And if you are able to share it, share those likes. Tell them why. Tell them why. It's an important, important thing to do. Thank you so much, guys for joining me today. I am more than, I am just tickled pink to be with you today.
Don't forget to go to noncompliantmovie.com. And, oops, sorry, wrong button. We will see you next time. All right, without further ado. Chris Ann Hall received her bachelor's degree in biochemistry from Blackburn College. And her Juris Doctor from the University of Florida. She served in the US Army as a military intelligence cryptologic linguist. prosecutor for the state of Florida for nearly a decade. Chris Ann also worked with a prominent national First Amendment law firm where she traveled the country defending Americans whose rights were violated by unlawful arrests and prosecutions. She has written six books on American history and the U.S. Constitution. Chris Ann is a regular consultant on numerous radio, podcasts, and television programs. Without further ado, Chris Ann Hall!